British Strongman Podcast episode. I can't remember what episode and yet thirty something. Um, today we have Tom Martin on the podcast. Um, some somebody that I've wanted to speak to for a while actually um, about both your personal achievements, but also your your coaching and your coaching style. I'd love to know a lot more about it actually. Um, yeah, can you just introduce yourself to people who m- maybe? Uh, well, I'm a powerlifter. How, how much info would you like? Well, I'll, you, I'll introduce Tom because I've followed Tom for about 300 years. So he's started off as a sprinter, I believe. I think it was over the 60 meters or 100 meters. Uh, is that right? That's right, yeah. And then I believe, I don't know why I know this stuff. You may have said this on the Alexander Clark podcast, uh, but. You then got into powerlifting at Olympic Strong Gym. Um, is that right? Um, yeah, you, you trained at OSG a few times, didn't you? Yeah, that's where I remember you from, because you started off doing the... Um, I seen you doing the equipped um, stuff for the first time. You're the first person I saw using squat suits and deadlift suits and stuff. Yeah, so um, I joined OSG just as a place to do my strength training, which was supplementary to the track work I was doing, really. And um, I, I just fell in love with the strength side of it. Yeah. So did you, so you start, is that, is that what they told you to do as coaches? Did they say you need to do some like um, deadlifts and squats and stuff? Or what did you do it yourself? To be honest, they, they weren't happy with the amount I was doing. They were, um, I don't know, they didn't really push strength that much when, when I was in track. I, I found personally the stronger I got, the faster I got. So um, I wanted to keep doing it. Yeah. And then I suppose from uh, from there you went into um, the ninety class, and was that when you went raw with wraps or? Um, so I yeah I started off in the old eighty two and a half class, which then got changed to the eighty three class. Um, so uh, yeah, all my all my equip lifting was done in the eighty threes. Uh, then um, IPF introduced the Classic World Championships, which was um, a, a bit more appealing to me. Um, so I, uh, I switched over, whipped to Classic, and moved up into the 93s from there. Yeah. Do you still hold the deadlift record in the 82s? Is it sealed in time or something or what? Right. Um, recently, that record was beaten by one kilo. However, I still have the British record, which I set um, around that time, which is higher than the current world record is. Right, okay, that's strange. So what, what was that? What weight? Uh, so that was a 350 deadlift at 82 and a half kilos. Brilliant. Yeah, madness. You were like one of the first guys I saw that was just like, because I was always comparing myself to strong men. And then yep. when I saw your static strength, I was like, no, no, I want, I want that and I want to apply it to Strongman. i like, you really inspired me. So I just thought it was crazy. Well, um, yeah, you were in the right environment there, though, if you were training at OSG, because um, I, I think they were all more into the strength side of things than anything else there. Yeah, like Cleggy in his prime and stuff. Absolutely, like yeah. Yeah. And then for the final bit of where you've gone to, you've obviously got up to the hundreds and then now you're in the one tens, aren't you? Doing the um 
classic classic raw with wraps. Uh, yeah, that's that's my preferred way to compete. So we've got some questions that I wanted to ask because this is one that I think is going to be uh, a good one. Monster, let me just pull it up because I know the person who asked this. Um, oh, there it is. I couldn't remember what it was talking about. So Alan has asked if you were to pick one coach oh, to coach oh, you. <laughs> other than yourself who would it be oh that's that's a really difficult question because um a, a big part of the reason that i'm not coached is because i think i'd just be too stubborn to do as i'm told to be honest because a lot of my training is really intuitive and and sometimes i've, I've not even decided what i'm going to train today until i'm actually in the gym and i, I think a, a more structured routine working with a coach is, is just not not something that um, I'd be willing to stick with. Do, do, do you not think that you could, um, if you found the right coach, that you, the coach uh, could, like, facilitate that? Because, like, I can relate to that a lot. And, um, like, like I, I train very intuitively, but I'll, but uh, Shane writes my programme for uh, for Strongman, you see. And, but if somebody tried to follow follow me and work out what I do in terms of patterns, like... There, there isn't really because it's so intuitive. But yeah. I will do like and the work that's prescribed instead of being like a four-day split or whatever. It'll just be kind of I'll do the work like intuitively over the week, and there'll be like lots of ranges in there and stuff. That's that's really similar to the way I do train. Actually, I, I tend to set myself weekly or monthly targets. Yeah, in training at the time, and and I'll just chip them off and work towards them when when it's the right day basically brilliant That's, your coaching style is very much like that as well though isn't it uh it depends on the lifter it really does right okay yeah um i'm i, I don't know if i'd say i have a coaching style to be honest unless you know that style is trying to find what works best for this lifter yeah so I'm, I'm, I'm not going to make anyone do um something just because I think that would be the way I train or the way I'd want my lifters to train. It's, yeah, it's, it can't be like that. Yeah, that, that's, that's something that I definitely agree with from a coaching standpoint. Some people say, some people say to me from, uh, oh, oh, like, oh, I'm not sure if your uh, program that you do with so-and-so would work for me or whatever. And like, I always, <laughs> I, I always say that if you looked at like, say all the people that I coach and looked at the, looked at the different programs, like, everyone is so completely so different and it's it's like you say some people need this like kind of rigid structure spelling out to them and exact numbers to hit so other people like if you give them like say for instance if i was programming tom and i gave him a load of percentages to hit on a monday like that would sometimes be actually dangerous if you were kind of that yeah because usually you've got someone who's either too lazy to hit whatever that percentage actually is or someone who uh, just has no idea how close to failure they actually were with that set who's going to massively overshoot every percentage you give him and you very rarely find that lifter in between the two that actually does it properly yeah so so if you were to so do you think that you would have you ever considered a coach then or is it just not something that you'd ever do you not because the thing is though I don't really think that you you've, you've never stalled in progress have you you've never really hit some kind of like plateau 
other than obviously injuries here and there. So it's kind of like the question of, like, if it's not broke, why try and fix it kind of well, thing? Yeah, I mean, I've, I feel like I've got really far in this by just trying to lift a bit more weight. And I, I just don't see the reason to complicate it at this stage yet. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Do, do you have Woden help you out with much? I know um, you're at his, his gym, aren't you? Or does he just mainly do kind of like keeping you together, so to speak? I, we, we chat quite a lot. And very often I'll, I'll probably accidentally realise something he's on about might actually be really beneficial for myself. So uh, when you ask if he helps me out, probably just by getting me into discussions about things and making me think a bit more. Yeah, it's like me and Josh, we just fucking chat and bounce ideas off each other and then suddenly a light bulb goes off and I'm like, all right, okay. That, yeah, yeah it's, it's good, isn't it? Like, so, like I agree, like we, we chat quite a bit about stuff and then like I'll learn stuff from Shane or Shane will learn stuff from me and then, and then something will actually just be born out of the discussion that neither, it, neither of our viewpoint necessarily, it, it's actually the discussion that's brought like a new slant on something. Um, do, do you speak, Tom, do you speak to um, like many people about training or do you, do you just kind of keep yourself to yourself and do your own study or what, like how, how do you um, kind of develop your knowledge, I suppose? Um, I, I've learned a lot recently from my own clients, actually. I kind of find like um, they're all in some ways a bit of a case study. Yeah. And uh, often I find I come across problems myself that I've already had to fix for someone else. So um, I, I think most of my knowledge just comes from being out there. And practicing, yeah. Observing the results, yeah. Because um, it's, it's just a problem-solving exercise, really. And uh, I don't think you... Um, what I'm trying to say is, uh, I think if, if, if you're good at just solving problems, you'll find that information when you need it. Yeah, I know, I know what you mean. Yeah. yeah. If you've got a mind that just works well, then it's like you don't, you don't need this vast knowledge base. You just, just need to learn how to figure out the problems you're presented with. Brilliant. Moving on to something that might be a bit more strongman related. I know you don't have like a specific coaching method or whatever, but I know that you, you're well known for, not obviously your own deadlift, but you're well known for building big deadlifts. And something I've noticed recently is um, you've just got like so many females just pulling like over 200 kilos. And something that I'm struggling with as a coach is I've got a couple of females around the 180 mark and they're like you know 60 70 body weight so it's a, a couple of times body weight lift just to pick your brain here and put you on the spot what yeah. what's your kind of like that's the that's the problem that you know they're around triple body weight area and they're looking to get to that 200 what what's your kind of go-to approach to to that problem and, and can i can i add can i add to this by the way before you answer look say say if you're <clears throat> if you see someone pulling or hear of someone pulling 180 and they want to get to the 190, 200 mark. Does it? Does that? Does your approach differ if you realise that there are 60 kilo 
uh, six kilo female pulling triple body weight or would it be a similar approach if it if it was like say a novice male pulling one and a half times his body weight looking to get to the 200 mark uh no completely different approaches there yeah the novice males just he's just going to get there in a couple of work, couple of months of doing some work really probably doesn't need that much guidance whereas on the other end of the scale this this is a a really elite figure and finding an extra 10 kilos on top of that is going to take some very different work than that novice male would have to do. So what would you do or are you not going to see, or you can't really say because you haven't seen the problem presented to you? Exactly. The first thing I'd do would be evaluate where the weakness is in the lift. Why are they not progressing from this 180? What happens if they try to deadlift 182 and a half? Uh, there's another point. Go for one eighty two and a half after one eighty. Don't jump to one ninety, which yeah. is what's and then they, they get stuck with this unreasonable number for a long time. So would you if so if the problem was um, like floor speed or lockout, you don't you you would isolate the issue and build around it basically. I wouldn't say I'd isolate the issue. I, I might slightly skew things in favour of working towards that issue a bit more than others. Okay. And do you, because I know you don't, um, well, when you programmed me anyway, it may have changed, but you didn't add in, you kind of, you stuck to your, your fundamental lifts. Uh, have you gone away from that or would you add in any, say you say they had weak glutes or whatever you thought, would you assistance work that or would you try to build that into the lift? Weak glutes is another interesting topic. Uh, that was yep. just something I pulled off the top of my head, by the way. Don't judge. <laughs> I've, got to, I've got to get off my chest now. Um, do, you know, when people talk about having a glute weakness, yeah. do, do you ever find that the glutes actually are weak? Well, in, is well, in isolation, they are. Uh, I'll tell, tell you something that, that pisses me off, Tom. Okay, can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. So something that pisses me off, Tom, is when you hear when you when you see people um, you see people struggle like the lift the deadlifting. They get it over the knee, and then they and then the people are screaming glutes, glutes, and uh, saying that they they need to extend the glutes to or extend the hip to to lock out. When in reality, a lot of the time is the the glutes are and the the hips are fully extended. The glutes are firing. But they're actually not locking out because they're in like a fucking fishing rod. Thoracic spines, fucking like a cone. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're like a, fi a fishing rod. It's not actually like people think that that is. Oh well, they need the they need the yeah. glutes to extend the hip, whereas the hip's already extended. You're just in a shit position to lock out because the spines moved, etc. That's mm -hmm. the thing that I, I've got. And put them on some 18-inch deadlifts in a perfect start position. You, you probably find the glutes aren't that weak after all. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's I fucking that, that I hate that that assistance. Yeah, that drives me nuts. So I'm still trying to plug out of you this answer. I'm trying to get some tips here, Tom. So at least give me some frequency. Like, what would you what would you, like, would your average frequency be? Or again, is that just going to depend on what the fucking recovering from? You must have uh, some kind of go to. Sixty kilo girl. I'm I'm gonna say if they could handle it three times a week. Right. Okay. Yeah, this the decreases a bit as the lifter gets heavier. I've, I've found recently. Hmm. Well, this, so so as the lifter gets heavier, 
the frequency yeah. drops. I, f- I find women could just handle more in general to start with. Yeah. I'd say the smaller the lifter, they, they can usually handle more frequency as well. I, I would, I'd agree with that, Tom. Um, and what would your theory be on the, like, explaining that? Like, wh- why does that occur? What, what's your view on that? Uh, I've never considered that, really. So the, the smaller, um, do you think they're, they need as much energy to then recover from the muscular work they do? Yeah, well, well what, what one of the theories is that they've the 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 using less mu- they're using less muscles, aren't they? they there's yeah, there's less to start with, so there's there's less, there's less damage because there's less yeah there's less muscle mass to, to actually recover. The other one is they're lifting less weight. If it's you know if we're talking on a light for light basis, yeah, but assuming that the say like you say like a sixty kilo female pull in 180 like with a 180 1rm and a 75 kilo female with a it, it with a higher percentage body fat um pulling what pulling 180 like i would assume that the smaller lifter would be able to handle a bit more volume or whatever and recover better what do you think I mean, the thing is, you got to remember, it's, it's sometimes not even the muscle recovery side, it's the neurological side, isn't it? Um, because you can feel fresh and recovered and good, but then you start pulling and it's just not there. So, um, the, 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 anecdotally, there's definitely something in it, but I don't know what it is. No, it's hard to say, but yeah, like like you said, anecdotally, this, this is what I've been observing myself for a long time now, and it's... It's kind of hard to ignore it when you've seen it with your own eyes so many times. Yeah, that's what the reason I was plugging this is I've been thinking about putting them on three days a week, you see. Right. What are they doing currently? They're doing a, well, I'm on about two people in particular. and what They're, they're both just finished a stiff leg deadlift block one day and a normal deads the other day. So the stiff legs have just kind of been peaked and the conventional deadlift is now it's now kind of swapping so that the um i think we're on deficit deadlift on the second deadlift day and the, the, that's quite light and the conventional deadlift day is getting heavier but I, they, they really wanted to focus on the pull so i was tempted to um add a third pull day in but i kept thinking am i over killing it or should i just wait and see what happens but I, I feel like they can handle it looks like they can handle it but i was like i'm gonna ask tom because he's building some fucking animals and he'll know uh, I, th- I think, well, you know them better than anyone else in terms of the recovery abilities, but I'd be inclined to agree that they could handle it, yeah. Mm. I just didn't know if it was like, you know, one of those things where, well, you said it yourself, when it, the lighter lift more than handleable, I don't know if you'd try, I never tried it before. I know Josh has tried it with loads of people, they deadlift loads of times, but I haven't tried it myself on some females, having them deadlift that much while still having a wrapped back squat in there, you know, it starts to get a bit of a, a brutal week, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's quite unfortunate sometimes what they have to go through. Yeah. But you, you know, you, you, when you find the thing that works for them, you just really can't back down from it. I think it's, uh, it's, quite, I think it's quite fascinating what um, people can 
once that once once they bought into it, I think it's quite fascinating what people can, can recover from in general. I think people were uh, kind of have this like kind of uh, thought in the head that they're gonna well, we have to do this kind of split. We have to do this traditional split that um, so-and-so has done before um, because, other, because of recovery. Whereas actually, I think if, if people actually up the frequency or up, significantly up the volume, I think, I think we, we did it ages ago, didn't we, with the, the small of bench, Shane. Do you remember? Did the yeah. small of bench. Um, I think I did it did it on myself actually to start off with because of whatever I just entered a random bench only comp and I just started benching like six days a week in the space of four weeks and I put like twenty five thirty kilos on my on my bench in that short time it was mad and then but the the mad thing was that I could I could actually recover from it and I felt great I felt really strong I felt I felt absolutely fine so then we started doing it with. Um, with quite a few females who just saw like re really good results. You, st you started doing it with using it quite a bit, aren't you, Shane? Yeah, and the females, yeah, they seem to respond really well to it, yeah. And just recover, they can just they can just do it like... One thing that Tom opened my eyes to years ago is because when I first got program off Tom, I think I had a 300 kilo squat. And I remember I said to him, I think I've got, first thing I thought, I think I've got 320 in me, but I've done 300. And then he went, uh, all right, Monday you're going to squat fucking 280 Tuesday Wednesday 300 Friday 320 and I remember looking at him I was like he's fucking head and then and I was like but he did tell him you could probably squat that and then I was like but that, that's not what the fuck's this I've never never done anything like it in my life and anyway I hit them all and then the next week he fucking had me squat like four times over three I think I squatted over 300 kilos about 90 times in about 10 weeks and put like 60 kilo on my back squat and I remember thinking after that peak I was like what the fuck just happened? Like, I have no idea. I, but the whole time I was dead. Like, I, I wouldn't say I was recovered the whole time. I was just like a walking zombie. But every time, it came, and my last warm up was always shit. But every time I, he told me what number to hit, I hit the number. And it really opened my eyes as to how far you can um, push yourself. Like, I don't think I'd ever pushed myself that much before into that zone. And that wasn't until Tom did his mad fucking magic with me. What I find interesting about that, you've just said you felt like a fucking zombie all the time and uh, not recovered and whatnot. And, and like personally, my philosophy is like, I think there's so much magic in that zone when you're in that kind of constant state of fatigue and stuff that a lot of people, a lot of people are kind of scared of and they think- Do you feel that, Tom, when you oh, train or not? Or do you stay away from that? Right. So uh, I think Josh mentioned earlier about people being able to recover from a lot more work than they think they can. And I think more importantly than that, you have to realize that just because you don't feel recovered doesn't mean you're not still strong and can still go have a really good session. Mm. So, um, I, yeah, I don't know about any magic in that zone. I think it's it, just, just well, look. I, I, think, I think magic in terms of actually you can get a shitload of quality practice in where a lot of people think that fucking hell, I need to rest for a couple more days before I go, can go and practice again. That's what I mean. So you, right. so you, you yeah. can like accumulate a lot more practice and volume in whatever your sport, strongman, powerlifting, whatever, where, yeah. where a lot of people think, oh, I need to wait here and I need to go and eat and I need to go and rest and I need 48 hours between muscle groups or whatever. Like you can actually 
that, that's what I mean. I don't mean like physiologically there's a, an advantage to it. And when you're in that kind of state, no, I think um, you're right. All it is is you, you're just doing the work while other people would have been resting. Yeah, and, and I just I just think um, that that if that if you kind of accept that, yeah, I'm not maybe I'm not, maybe it's I'm not going to be able to hit a hundred percent to well, you well, no, obviously you're not, but 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 actually, uh, I suppose instead of like hitting ninety percent, I don't know, I'm just plugging numbers out of my head here, but like instead of hitting 90%-ish once a week, like, could you hit 85% three times in a week and actually... And Here's a question for you, Tom. Do you work in percentages or not? Uh, I, I usually have some rough percentages that I'll, I'll just plug in just to get some kind of guidelines to where I'm starting from. Yeah. And from there, I'm just going to be watching the speed of the lift, really. Yeah, I'm a numbers guy, mate. Some people say fucking 85, 90%. I'm always like, I don't know what that is. I know, like, I don't know why. I always know, like, 210 or 220 and or whatever. And then I just watch the speed of it and forget. I don't even fucking, I don't know. I, don't, yeah, exactly. I just can't do percentages anymore. No, no, I just use it just so I know that, you know, whatever number I plucked out of my head as a starting point, I want it to be in the ballpark. So, um... I, I use a few references percentage-wise just to make sure I'm not doing something stupid. Yeah. So going back to when you were um, in, in, in your lighter class and you were equipped then, so you are obviously, like we were saying, you were a lighter body weight uh, and you had the equipment as well. Did you find you trained differently to now? Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I trained a lot more and probably a lot harder. Well hard is difficult to say but I, I definitely felt like I was doing a lot more training back then yeah so because I remember you used to deadlift quite a few times a, a week is that right from different heights? Oh, up to four or five sometimes yeah and how long did you do that for uh, probably three to five years maybe there you go Josh there's some challenge for you <laughs> Keep that up for uh, five years. Breaks and deloads and things like that in between. But, but that kind of philosophy and that frequency, yeah, it was able for a considerable amount of time. And to, to give the uh, the listeners a bit of a rough idea, what kind of, like, say you're, you're deadlifting five, say five times in a week and able to do it, like what kind of percentage-ish would you, would you manage if you were deadlifting three to five times a week? What kind of percentage would you manage in terms of max well there'd be one week every now and again where it would all be pretty much max but um, I'm going to start with a fairly conservative starting point so you, I think you used to break them down into different variations didn't you over, over yeah, that's, yeah. yeah so I might have a couple of you know, competition pulls from the floor and a couple of different block heights deficits And so, so in, t in terms of like, because um, this is another uh, kind of debated topic, like people hear Max and think, fucking hell, danger. Like, uh, we shouldn't be doing it, it's stupid. Like, you should only max out every once every whatever or save it to competition or what. Like, <clears throat> what's your kind of philosophy on, 
on maxing in training and um it, it depends what you're doing the sport for really and what you're enjoying what you get out of it for me personally i just like lifting heavy so if i feel it's there on the day i'm gonna, I'm gonna take yeah. I really that's what it was in training or on the platform I, I just want to do it yeah well that, I, I can relate to that like massively mate like I that, that's how I train like people people watch what I do on Instagram and stuff like oh, how, how the fuck do you recover or what like I, I'll literally max every day that I train on something it'll be like I'll pick like a random variation it'll be a dumbbell or an axle or whatever and I'll just or it'll be, it might be a deadlift variation and I'll just always feel like when I train, I feel like I need that kind of, most of the time anyway, like I feel like I need that buzz of, like I just love it, I just love it. And that's what I kind of, uh, I've been having this conversation with a lad in the gym who had trained before and I'm, he was doing his deadlift and he was doing his program that set him or whatever, but he's feeling really good. So he, so he was just, he was like, oh, can I put some more plates on? I'm like, fucking, of course you can. Like what, like what, like not 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 from an ego perspective, like oh this is my lifter lifting a decent weight or whatever. But I just I just said to him, I said, look, what like fundamentally, why do you come here? Why do you why do you train? Like forget the competitions and shit. Like why do you actually do it? Like you fucking love lifting heavy shit, don't you? You you enjoy it. And he's like, yeah. And I was like, well, let's fling some plates on them while you feel good. And. Um, yeah, that that's kind of my approach to training and No, I like that. I, I agree with that completely. Um at the end of the day, progress is progress. It doesn't matter where you did it. Yeah, I I think I think too too many people get caught up in the oh well, I'm doing I'm running this eight week block and then I'm gonna retest my three uh, and it just like it it just and the day it's fun, isn't it? And you fucking yeah, sometimes you're in that moment and it's moving well. You just like get the fucking weight on. I mean, what what if you got a one ninety five bench PB one day and it was feeling really good, and you um, you felt you really felt like two hundred was there, nice milestone, and you don't take that attempt because you think I've already done too much today, and then you go get hit by a bus and you never bench again. <laughs> exactly, or you drop a bar in your hand and you fucked. That is yeah. That's how I live my life now. So, right, I'm trying to give this podcast some slight direction. So, I'm going to take the wheel again. So, we're in the I fucking love this talking shit, by the way. I just, I just love talking. No, I've just got some questions I want to ask, but I want to fucking, you know what I mean? I need to set them up. But anyway, so we're in the 83 class, we're equipped, and you've been doing, you, you said you trained a little hard or whatever the hell you meant by that. I think I know what you mean. And the um, frequency was higher, and you were able to probably recover better and then you transitioned up to the higher weight classes and um, we, we know you said you're all right with talking about this we know that you've obviously well I'm sure everybody can tell by looking at you now you have made the switch from natty to enhanced so first yeah. question on that subject is what what was going through your mind at the time of like when you were thinking about making the transition and what actually made you decide to do it I'd been considering it for probably at least three years before I actually made that jump. Um, yeah, I was just coming towards the end of, of what I was doing in the IPF and I just wasn't enjoying it anymore. You know, I'm, I'm grinding out and I'm maybe adding two and a half kilos to my deadlift over two to three years. And I, I just wanted to, um, I wanted to do better. 
and I wasn't enjoying what I was doing there because there was no progress. Um, I think one of the big considerations I had was I wanted to see how far I could get without using them first. Um, and yeah, by the time I'd made that decision, I think I was probably round about there. Yeah. Um, it, it that, were came, you in the 90 class at the time or how heavy were you, body weight? Uh, yeah, I was around 90 kilos at the time. Yeah. Yeah, I, th I think a problem is like, like some people make that switch too early, like before getting like the, the like say, the training shit, the sleep shit, the, the eat shit, they look like shit, but then they'll think that like being enhanced is going to take the whereas actually they've got so many free easy gains that they can that they can make before before doing that what what do you think tom uh i used to be pretty adamant that you should really see how far you can go without it but and i probably relaxed my opinion a bit on that reason because um, if you're thinking about doing it and you're thinking, I'm setting this goal in the future, I'm going to want to hit that first and then I'm definitely going to do it. You know you're going to anyway. So in some cases, I'd probably suggest just getting with it. You're already certain that's what you want to do. That is actually what I say to people all the time. Is I always say to them, if you've got a, I said, as long as you've got a 10-year plan, like if you've got, if you want to be in the sport for 10 years, and it's going to take you three years to get to that natural limit, whatever you want to call it. Then I was like, you may as well get on now because you'll probably get to that limit in a year. And then you've still got nine years left to, to play yeah. with. And you don't need mad dosages or anything to get that. You know, you just need a little dabble. And, and as long as you're sensible with it and you've you got to know, like I don't think you should be involved in the sport for a year and then set all your cards on the table. Like I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. You should, you know, still commit some time to it and stuff. But yeah, I definitely think that for some people, grinding out to that natural limit, it can take fucking forever. Yeah, I, I've done it, to be honest. But um, I, I, I wish I hadn't done that, to be honest. I, I wish I hadn't um, basically spent three years going nowhere before I made that decision. <clears throat> I, I really wish I'd done it in hindsight as soon as I had stalled. Yeah, but I suppose what I'm saying is I think that I, I think there's a bit of a middle ground. I'm not saying that... I think that people should get to their get to their natural limit and get to that point where they're stalling. But I do, I just I just see so many people, so many people out there who have got so many simple, free, easy gains that they can make, and then they're taking this route, and then not necessarily fixing the other stuff as well. Yeah, the, yeah, not you. Like, they're kind of doing that instead of. Whereas, like, if you could get somebody to 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 fix all the things at yeah, you need to get to a decent level first, don't you? And for, for some people, that's that's going to depend on environment, how long it takes. If you train in a good powerlifting gym, a good powerlifters, you pick up good habits. You train in pure gym, you, you, you don't learn much, you know what I mean? And then you end up getting on a lot of trend to get stronger, but you, you're fucking shite. Like, you're, you're, you're strong, but you're a shit lifter. And, and you need to become a good lifter first. Yeah, but I think the issue there isn't really about considering when or when not to start taking gear. It's just like the, the person is example you gave uh, just just hasn't given any thought to it at all. Yeah, I mean, the, in, in the UK, it's like that though, isn't it? People just fucking join gyms and 
behind the counter in some gyms like you take this. So it, it is very relaxed over here. So I can see how it happens. Absolutely, yeah. So after you made the jump, yeah, um, you said you're about ninety kilos. What was your give us like your first? What was your first six months on it like then? Did you did you get crazy gains or what happened? I'd say probably within six weeks of starting, I was already a hundred kilos. Oh, so you, you gained ten kilo body weight, right? <laughs> and you, you're lean, aren't you? So it's not like you got fat. <laughs> I probably got leaner at the same time while I was doing that, yeah. Because <laughs> I, I, I wasn't even eating any more food. I was I changed nothing except I starting started using, and it, it was just like magic. And what happened with your lifts then? How did uh, initially, bench probably made the biggest jump. Uh, that got up to you know. I was probably starting around 160 before I was taking anything. Best I did naturally was uh, a pretty ropey 180, but we're talking to competition standard about 160. And that just flew up to really easy 180, 190 within them six weeks as well. Uh, deadlift, not as much. But um, this is quite hard to, to quantify really because... I was at a pretty low point when I started taking them and my lifts were nowhere near where they had been at their best as a natural anyway. Right. But, uh, yeah, everything just started improving again. Everything was fun again. <laughs> I suppose if you, like, if your deadlift was going, even if you weren't at, like, your best, if every time you're lifting it's moving better and you're seeing that... Um, progress yeah. again aren't you yeah so it, it took me a little while to catch up with my best natural deadlift and then from there to 400 didn't seem to take that long at all right and what, and what what are the goals like what goals do you have if you don't mind me asking with your with your own lifting um do you have any certain numbers that you want to hit on the platform or are you just happy and in training or what do you want to do my only real goal is that when I'm finished with this, I, I don't want to feel like I left anything behind. Right. How uh, are you after your, uh, was it your tricep you did last? Yeah, okay. yeah, so I had an fracture at the elbow. So the tricep actually pulled a flake of bone away from the elbow that the tendon was attached to. Um, yeah, so that had to get put back together. And is that um, affecting anything now, or are you all right? Yeah, it's it's improving slowly, but it's um, it's it's still a bit unpredictable. Right. What, just what does that affect bench? All three. Yeah. Uh, deadlifts can be really bad, just hanging the weight off it. Bench is always pretty bad, um, and. If, if I squat with um, either a cambered bar or a safety squat bar or whatever, it's fine. But straight bar back squats um, can or cannot, you know, whenever it feels like it. Didn't, didn't you do it? Did you, did you do it on a squat? What, yeah. Yeah, I thought you did. I was just, for some reason, I was thinking you did it on a bench, then I was like, I swear you did it on a squat. 
So you, so Tom, you say when you finish, you don't want to have left anything behind. Like, what do you think would make you finish? I don't want to do it forever, to be honest. I will just get to the point where I've had enough. I, th I think I'll train for the rest of my life, but I can't see me pushing the way I've been doing in powerlifting for for too much longer, to be honest. What do you think um, your training would look, look like? What kind of training would you do? Do you think what interests you makes you tick? Uh, I'd, I'd still be lifting. S um, similar kind of lifts, just not to the kind of... With the, I'm, always getting yeah. better. I'd, I'd be a bit less... Uh, I'd push myself less with training. I'd be less um, inclined to make myself do sessions I didn't want to do. I'd, I'd kind of, I'd probably be doing things similar to the way I'm doing now, just with um, a bit less pressure on myself and just trying to enjoy it a bit more rather than pushing beyond that point of enjoyment and hurting myself. Mm. So when are you actually going to like, because obviously I know you, you, you go for this rebuilding stage of it. Have you got like a competition date in mind for your next meet or what? I've kind of got half an eye on the Irish Pro in May next year. That, that seems like a pretty good time frame. Right, so that's about seven, eight months away, isn't it? So quite a good. Um, I can't, I can't see myself doing anything earlier than then, certainly. And I think is whenever, whenever I've spoke to you before, you never seem to be really, you never seem to be really set on other people's records, so to speak. It's more about beating yourself. Have you got something in mind for Irish Pro or or what? I wouldn't want to get on the platform if I didn't think I was going to hit a PB total. Right. Yeah, somewhere over a thousand. Yeah. What, what was you? Because I know that I know that's deadlift. I was at that competition. I went to watch you uh, the way you missed the uh, got the red lights on the deadlift for whatever reason. But is that the? I know you didn't get it technically, but is that your highest total, or have you done more than that in another comp? That's my highest total. Yeah. In your brain, do you class that as a thousand and whatever it was, or do you class it as the one that they give you? Um, the one they give me was was a thousand, but oh, was it right? Okay. Yeah, so a lot of people have this attitude like you got your thousand, you should just be happy with that. But the difference between that and what myself and a lot of people believe I, I should have been awarded that day, it's kind of like the difference between uh, you know fifth or sixth in the world maybe up to second in the world in that weight class yeah what was it a thousand and eleven that you would have got thousand and twelve point five yeah because yeah that's that's a, yeah because if i was you in my brain i'd be telling myself on my on comp day platform i have the one thousand and twelve point five kilo total uh even though it's not in the books my brain would be like i'm gonna beat that next time that's that's um yeah, I agree with you. I, I, I do have that in my head. So when I talk about wanting to do a PB total next time, I, I want to move forwards from what I know I've already done, not what's written down on a website somewhere. Yeah. So you know, if it's, if it's not 1,015 plus, I'm, I'm not going to be satisfied with what I've done. Did you see that lift, Josh, or not? Yeah, I did. But I, can't, I can't remember. What weight, what weight was it? Was it? Or yeah, it was just like it was like the perfect deadlift, and there was like all the red lights for some fucking strange reason. What was the technicality? What was uh, downward movement of the bar? 
but I think I think it was the side refs, wasn't it? And it was just whip. Um, so uh, one one centre ref, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I've had to speculate on what happened there. I think just the fact the plates were bouncing up and down may have made it look like the bar might have moved down at some point. If you look at where I'm actually in contact with the bar, that continuously moves upwards. Yeah, yeah. To be honest, mate, there's no, there's not a really, there shouldn't be a question on it. It's, it was fine. So yeah. So a bit off topic. Um, how how did you find the transition to hook grip? You you transitioned to hook grip after uh, tearing your bicep, didn't you? I'm just gonna yeah. take a quick piss, guys. One sec. All right, mate. So um, I've I've tried to hook grip a few times before then, and never really been able to make it work. But then after I the bicep, I was just adamant that I'm, I'm never going back to switch grip ever again because I don't want to go through this again. And um, just out of necessity, really, it, it just had to work, and it did. Yeah, and how, how do you feel like you're... Um, like, how does your grip feel? Not like, like how, are you... Rel- do you find it's like really reliable to like, have you, have you gone over your max with hook grip, like work through like uh, a shorter range? Uh, 440 with hook grip and it was solid there. And do, do you feel like you're anywhere near a limit in terms of grip or not? Um, the only time I've ever dropped one with hook grip is when I've done something technically wrong or not quite set my grip properly. Um, so every other time, it's, it's just felt so solid that I didn't really know where the limit was. I, I wouldn't know what to look out for to suggest there was a limit coming either. Right. And like, how did you, how did you build up your tolerance? Did you, did you build up, your, like in terms of the, the thumb, like your thumb going numb or whatever? Did, did you do, have you, have you done rep work with it or did you do predominantly like single, singles, just singles? Yeah, I'd, I'd never do rep work with it. Um, I've not built up a tolerance at all. It hurts now just as much as it did at the start. <laughs> a lot of people say that you um, it, this eventually does stop hurting, and I, I think you need to go into this with your eyes open. It, it does hurt all the time. Yeah, yeah. When I, when I weightlifted. I could. I got to the point where I could clean and jerk and snatch without. I thought my thumbs were invincible, and then I, I did a deadlift bar hook grip pull. And it's just, it's just a different ball game, really, when you've got a thinner bar with that much weight hanging on. It just hurts. Weightlifting is a, a lot nicer on your thumbs because they're in contact with the bar a lot less of the time, really. And what would I, I'd have never been doing more than 200 kilos if it was weightlifting. So that alone feels very different than 400 does. And because the lift's so fast and over so quickly, you're, you're not really putting your thumb through that much. Yeah. Do you tape, Tom, or do you just go raw, raw skin? No, I, I just go skin on bar. I, um, I have tried tape, but I find it thickens my thumb a little bit. And that actually makes, makes the grip less secure for me. So I just put up with the pain instead because it, it, it is a more reliable grip then. Because someone told me to tape, and I, I tried it. Felt really good at like one one eighty two hundred, and then I think I hook gripped three hundred, and the tape like slid down my finger, and yeah, it just didn't. It was just it was just crap. I didn't really like it. I don't know how people get on with it on deadlifts. 
No, I find I, I, I just feel less connected and like I've got less feel for the bar and what it's doing in my hand with the, with a bit of tape. Yeah, you kind of want that pain, I think. Well, I do. I'm like, I'm ready for it. I want you to like stay in my hand. Well, yeah, that, that pain in your thumb means you're not dropping. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Does it since that transition to hook grip is that is that do you think that consciously or subconsciously has that changed like um, how you coach in terms of what, would you would you steer people towards hook gripping or would you steer people towards like at least looking at it as an option or uh, a lot of the lifters I work with personally are quite glorious about hook grip um, it does seem to be becoming a lot more popular recently so, so most of them will want to try it at some point but for me to actually suggest someone does make that transition you need a really good reason I think yeah it was a, maybe it shouldn't have been but for me it was a last resort and I had done so, whatever I carry on not doing that. So if, you, if you're coaching a beginner, you'd just like be happy with them to do mixed grip. You wouldn't even mention... mention yeah, if, if the mobility was good, if they're not doing anything weird that twists them around when they deadlift because of this mixed grip, then I'd, I'd just leave that as it is, yeah. So do, do you... Um, so for the listeners, do you notice, uh, apart from um, being able to do a double overhand grip do you notice a difference in terms of start position do you notice like you, do you feel in a better start position with hook grip versus mixed grip or not or just very similar i personally do feel in a much better start position but i've always got on with straps and deadlift and when i've spoke to other people about this uh, who have only ever done uh, mixed grip deadlifts they, they tell me they feel a lot tighter in their start position that way and it just that just doesn't make any sense to me yeah, yeah. Per personally, I f I feel a lot better start position with hook grip and now straps. It's identical to to how I'd lift in straps. Which, yeah, uh, but I, re I, re I remember um, say a couple of years ago when I do like str strongman comps and I would do mixed grip and I just felt stronger than doing. People would say, "Oh, use straps uh, because it takes grip out of the equation." Whatever. And I just always felt stronger for, for a, a real big period where I, I just felt better mixed grip and I felt like more in contact with, like, you know, um, I suppose, get, like you said, getting tight in terms of like, I don't know, I just felt, felt really, but once I, I mean, but then I think people are like, uh, people in straps sometimes don't use, they're not squeezing for the hand properly and they're not getting that tight tightness, um, especially when people, because I've actually started switching to, I, I kind of hook grip in my strap now since I've put my hand up. And I, I get that same feeling of squeezing my lats and everything that I got from mixed grip. <clears throat> Whereas when I used to use straps, I was almost like relying on the strap just a little bit too much and it was actually hindering me. Well, I th from, because I can remember when I, when I really struggled with straps because when I str struggled uh, learning how to use straps, I just literally, dedicated a whatever 12 week block of training just to pull in straps and it felt fucking awful and then I got to the point where I was skillful using the straps and I felt as equally skilled doing mixed grip and uh, pulling with straps and then I felt the benefit of pulling with the straps 
Like, um, what do you do, Tom? Then do you, do you just slap them on and lift, or do you do you like cue yourself to hook or squeeze or what? Um, so I I used to use the figure of eight straps, which I had to stop using because I felt like how you described, I just just lazy. I'm not squeezing the bar. Um, even though I did, they don't fit properly, so the bar's going to come out of my hand and rest at the bottom of the figure eight anyway. And I just find I'm not getting back then. So since I've switched to, I switched to just using standard straps now, and I purposely get that bar as high up in my hand as I can to try and replicate what I'm going to be doing if I have to hold onto the bar myself. And I just feel much tighter in that position. Yeah. Because that was my biggest thing transitioning from strongman to powerlifting is I had this good habit for strongman of dropping the bar into the fingertips and the yeah. strap. But then when you suddenly have to squeeze the bar, I now suddenly had eight Five. years with the deadlifting and I now had an inch shorter arm. So it felt <laughs> it's a weird transition. Yeah. Have you ever thought about doing a suited strapped up max pull or not sometimes oh, I love <laughs> um i've been I've, I've never had the right opportunity to do it i don't think i'd want to do it just to see what i can in the gym but, um, i um i need an event that i'm preparing for to do that and what would what would that need to be me? What would that what would you need? Money? Would you need like prize money? No, to be honest, no. I just, I it just we, Shane, I think we should put an event on. Honestly, mate, and get <laughs> cranked up in one of those double ply suits, so he'd like us to mong it over his knees and hitch the fuck out. Oh, mate, I'd love to see it. Tom hitching. When's the last time you even put a suit on, Tom? Um. I've not touched one since I stopped equipped lifting. Right, okay, fair enough. I thought he might have had a little play at some point. I thought surely he's had a play. How much did you how much did you used to get out of this suit then? Or did you not really do much heavy raw stuff? I I got about thirty kilos out of my suit. Right. Well, and did you get that straight away or do you put that oh, down to the fact that you mastered it over all them sessions? That took me probably about a year to get there. First few times I put it on, I lifted less than I did raw. Yeah, we took, we've talked about that quite a bit actually on this podcast. Like, um, there seems to be a bit of a trend where people buy a deadlift suit and then um, just slap it on and expect to pull a PB. Or, or even worse, what people do is they'll max out the, they'll get to like build up to ninety percent raw, and then they'll slap the suit on and then expect to fucking attempt a PB and then. Then they turn around and say, oh, God, it's shit, this suited lifting, blah, 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 blah. Whereas actually, well, in fact, can you t can you talk a little bit about the, the skill acquisition side of pulling in a suit? So uh, if you're a conventional deadlifter, traditionally, yeah. it's harder to get the kilos out of the suit. And why I find that is, is because to get anything out of it, you, you have to wear this suit so tight that it completely ruins your start position. So you, and that's the route I went down in the end. I, I put the really tight suit on and just learned how to deal with the start position because that was the only way I could actually get anything out of it. But it, it took quite a while to um, 
address the strength balances to to actually make that work. Yeah. So if you if you put a suit on that allows you to get into your normal perfect conventional start position, it's it's probably too loose to give you anything. That was my experience. So what did you do to to learn it then? Did you just put it on tight and persevere, or did you gradually tighten it, or what? I I got in it as tight as I could every time. Um, the the main issue I was having in it was. I was, I was getting in such a, this really bad start position actually helps the bar fly off the floor really quick and then really struggling with lockout. So what I did a lot of is um, block work in the suit, really. Just to try and force myself into that replicable position that I'm going to end up in if I pull it off the floor. Yeah. Uh, it makes sense, but I suppose for you, be, I suppose it's a bit, a little bit different to people, to a lot of people listening to this in strongman, because it was like kind of a necessary evil for you, like doing e equipped lifting, wasn't it? Like you're leaving kilos on the table if you don't fucking off your toe if you don't learn how to pull in the suit. You kind of had to do it, or you, or at least have a huge motivation. Whereas, <clears throat> I think a lot, lot of guys. Um, or just like kind of give like roll the dice a little bit really and, and buy a suit and then be like, well, if I get some free kilos, great. But it doesn't really matter enough if it, they don't make it work, if you will. So uh, if you're allowing hitching, you, you don't run into these same problems, I think. Because hmm. you can just wear that suit that lets you mong it above your knees. And um, you, you're just not going to have the same lockout problems if you can hitch it. Yeah put yourself in a better position just rest it on your knee and adjust can't you yeah what what do what do you think about uh, teaching people pull, to pull in a suit then like in a nutshell like what what have you what have you uh, say one more time you just broke up <laughs> like if you're teaching uh, somebody to pull in a suit like in a nutshell i i I go kind of against what uh, Tom said actually, and I, I'll I'll recommend that so that people or I've had I've had some good success with people actually pulling in a quite a loose suit really like with adjustable straps and then basically my my approach in my head is get them to pull like basically what feels like almost like the raw starting position with a little bit more support. And then, as they get confident maintaining that start position, then cranking the cranking the, the straps up a little bit and getting getting a little bit tighter, and then moving over to like say maybe the double ply or what or whatever, and eventually getting to that point where they where they're monging it over the knee. You've you options there than I actually did when I was um, doing the equipped lifting because we I wasn't allowed the adjustable straps. Yeah. I so. Uh, I, I just didn't have that adjustability, so I kind of threw myself in the deep end there because I didn't want to have seventeen different suits. Well, that's the thing. Another thing as well, it's expensive. Like for the, for for you learn for you learning that way, because because to be to be honest, that that I started off do, with the the same thing. I, I bought like a something off powerlifting kit for sale probably about five years ago, and it was slightly wrong fit. And I just thought fucking deadly suits are stupid and. And pull less than my raw or whatever. Whereas actually, it was just the the fit was slightly too. It was just too tight to learning basically. Um, but yeah, I think that's a, a thing for 
people listening to the podcast if they want to learn. I think that that's something that definitely go with adjustable straps. Um, and and in, and in my opinion, for somebody learning, risk risk with it being a little bit too big than a little bit too tight because if it's a little bit too big, you can do stuff like for strongman, you can put well like a pair of thick joggers or something like that, or neoprene shorts underneath and get a, to in, increase the tightness. But if it's if it is too tight to start off with, then it's just going to fuck up that start position too much, I think. So you. You progress into tighter suits by um, working the optimal position and then tightening up as they become able to handle each step of it. Whereas uh, what I would have done is get in there as tight as possible and get in a really nice start position from some partial deadlifts. And then just as I was getting used to it, I'd increase the range of motion a bit more. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it makes sense. <laughs> Not really two dissimilar approaches. The principle's the same, really. We're just progressing. Yeah, I, th- I, th- yeah I, th- I think the I think the thing that's major that that's different is the motivation of the athlete. Like like what I touched on before about like saying if you're if you're like say an equipped powerlifter and it is a necessary evil because it's like a third it's like a third of what your sport is. Whereas for strongman it's a deadlift is only like usually about a fifth of what the sport is at any given comp of which most of the comps are raw anyway. It's just like a kind of some, some comps allow the suit. So if I've got some, if, if you're teaching somebody who's like a, an intermediate level lifter, who's ugh, they're, they're not, they're not necessarily, maybe not even all in on the training. Like if they, if you're putting them in a fucking deadly suit and they're squashing the bollocks and whatnot, and they, they just feel dreadful, it's kind of you've got to, you've got to kind of balance that kind of motivation. I, find well, I have nothing to add to this conversation because apart from the fact that my teenage anime is fucking really nice, but <clears throat> I when I learned in the suit, it was just me. There was nobody around. I did it my own way. And I got 20 kilo out of it and I thought I was the boss. And then it was only since starting speaking to Josh about suits and getting people on the podcast. I learned a lot about the podcast. I think I did the suit completely wrong. I didn't put it on, like Tom said, I didn't put it on start, uh, tight enough. I was too busy getting in the same start position that I was in raw, which is why I literally got a suit through the post about two days ago. And I'm going to re relearn the suit and try and do it differently. I don't know which approach I'll use. But my goal is going to be to get the suit as tight as possible and get it over my fucking knee. Whereas before, my goal was always like, it gives me a little bit of pop, which is all I need to finish it. And, and I was getting 15, 20 kilo out of it. So I really think that if I cranked it real tight, I think I might be one of them lucky cunts that might be able to get quite a lot out of the suit. Uh, but I, I never put it on tight. Sorry, go on, Tom. Definitely think there is more to get out of the suit in strongman, though. Yeah. If you um, yeah, if, if your goal is just to get it above the knee, you're playing a really a different game there. I well, learn. I won't be hitching, Tom. But well, you're not. Um, just, I can't. I just don't like. I refer. I just don't like him. I think it's a shit rule. I think you shouldn't be allowed to do it. I just don't like it. How do you end up going back to strongman anyway? Because I can use straps now, and I fuck my hand. Right. Fair enough. If, if and when 
I am training my hook grip in the background. As soon as I can, I pull the 220 actually. Um, but as soon as I can do a reasonable pull again, hook, I'll, uh, I'll 100% power. I'm still training bench and wrapped squat. It's just that my deadlift has to be in straps. So there's no, I can't, I'm, basically, I'm not going to a comp, squatting 350, benching 230, and then pulling 210 or something like I just, there's, I, I, I would feel like there's no point peaking, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, so strongman's really more there for like a bit of mental focus to make me get strong again. And then hopefully in the background, this hand, but as you can see on video, I don't know if you can see that, my little finger the other day, I fucked it, it cracked and now it's pointing towards my thumb all the time. So I don't actually know what I've done. It's like proper wonky, can you see it? I, I can't actually see anything. Oh, are you not clicking? I need to click the other video. I want two videos. All right. What, what what can you see? What what could you see, Tom? What do you say? I can see nothing now. Oh, so you can't see my little finger. What, what have you been talking to? Have you been talking to your own face? No, you pop up every now and again. <laughs> but, but I don't. All oh, right. Fair oh, you've gone again now. Oh, yeah, so stop. God knows, I don't fucking know. I was just holding my little finger to the camera for about twenty minutes, but. Right. You just have to trust me, Tom, that my little finger is facing my thumb. Uh, the other day, I was listening to a dumbbell, I felt a crack, and I looked at my finger, I was like, why are you over there? And it hasn't gone back. So, so Tom, you know, you know say you, you get to this like, hypothetical end of lifting and, or competing or whatever, you get to the end of the road or whatever, um, do you still plan to be coaching? And like, will, will, you, will you transition to put everything into your coaching, do you think? Or... Is it just a way in general? I really have no backup plan here. So I'll, I'll continue with the coaching as long as I can. Yeah. And like, do, do, like, obviously you enjoy the coaching because it's what you what you choose to do. Um, like, yeah. What, what, what have you been coaching for? Have you been coaching about? You must have been coaching about eight years now, have you? Or maybe longer? Uh. I've probably been paid for it for about eight years and, and done little bits for a couple of years earlier than that. Yeah. Cause you've worked with some, who are the, um, obviously I know, I know a lot of people you work with, but you've worked with some big names as well. You're still working with, is it, I don't know, it's fuck says that you're still working with Kayla or not? Uh, Kayla's. Yeah, yeah. Long term, we still work together. He he, um, he he drops off every now and again. He has a few personal issues from time to time. <laughs> uh, what what are his personal issues? No, I'm only joking. I'm only joking. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Kayla, yeah, he's probably the highest profile lifter I've worked with. And you you improved his conventional deadlift uh, massively, didn't you? Um, uh, even, though he's, even though he's a sumo puller, and that is a question I get asked a lot. Yeah, which is, is that your go-to like assistance for a sumo lifter? Uh, my my approach for sumo would be two deadlift sessions a week, and you're going to do two variations in each session. Three of them will be conventional variations. Right. Okay. Uh, that, that's my go-to starting point. And what, what's the rationale behind that, Tom? Can you be asked to explain him? Uh, I've done a bit of sumo myself, so I, I know that I, 
I personally can't handle doing sumo too frequently. Uh, it, it, it just chews my hips up. And I've, I've noticed the same with pretty much every other lifter that, that pulls sumo. So um, I've, I've found just, just for the sake of being able to get some quality work done, I, I think you'd best learn how to do some conventional pulls as well. So it's more about, sorry, I'm eating them. That's why I'm not speaking. It's more about getting extra frequency in through the pulls without jamming the hips, basically. Most of what you're doing is, is this almost identical muscle groups. And the, um, the only difference in sumo is you've got a smaller range of motion. And for me, the, the biggest difference was some uh, massive stress on the adductors. Yeah, I actually fucking tore my adductor trying to rehab it doing sumo. Couldn't fucking right. At Josh's, actually. It fucked me for about six months. Couldn't believe it. I just started doing sumo for in the first place was to um, build up some, some strength in bigger ranges of motion throughout my hips. So I was having issues with that. I, I just... Further. Um, but... By the end of that, I found out I just I just couldn't I couldn't handle training the way I wanted to train if it was only sumo. Yeah, because didn't you pull up to like a four? I pulled four twenty. Yeah, four four twenty sumo. Yeah. Wow. And that wasn't uh, that long into sumo, was it? Probably four to six weeks, maybe. Looking at all that, that's a lot. Not really long then. What you really doing? Um, and then I just found that the, the more I tried to focus on it from a technical point, and the more effort I was putting into it that way, the, the more and more I was just hurting myself and unable to actually train that way. Yeah. Did it affect your squat as well then when you came to squat if your hips were all fucking jammed up? Uh, yeah. Initially, it really helped my squat, which was what I was doing it for. But, um, yeah, you, you, you can take your assistance work too far and then it actually distracts away from the point back to the first place. Yeah, well, that is, what you said there is exactly what happened to me. I had a tiny strain in my adductor and I was fucking doing like really light sumo deads because there's no like machines to build some strength up in it. And it felt great after the sessions. And then uh, with, with Josh, I pulled fucking a couple of singles at 260 for no reason whatsoever. And on one of them, my foot uh, on a wooden platform, my sock slipped as I was pulling and I like, went a bit wider and I thought a big rip. And I was like, oh, what the fuck was that? Thought nothing of it. And then it wasn't like, an, it wasn't like painful, but for like six months, I just felt it like all the time. And I thought, am I gonna live with this? Luckily it's gone now. But just cause I pushed my assistance like a dickhead. Yeah, yeah, that's, um, yeah, same problems I had with it, really. I just, um, I do this with all my assistants work, if I'm honest. I, I, I tend to push it too far because I, I just treat it the same as my um, main lifts. But, this, um, this ties in nicely, actually, to a question. You know you know Joe Sko, don't you? Uh, Joe Sko wanted me to ask you, um, what your mindset is like because you've had a couple of um well he said like career ending injuries what's your mindset been like after them and how have you uh, obviously built into recovering from them well 
cry about it a bit and um, you're scared to lift for a bit, but uh, you just have to let it go eventually. Uh, easier said than done, but when you've been through it a few times, um, you, you start to see that there's only really one way forward and that's just to put it out of your mind and just get on with it again. Yeah. You, um, if, you, if you're scared of re-injuring something, you, you'd never lift again. Do you think you've got like, I know you said you like, don't think you're going to be in the sport for forever and you've got these goals and all. Do you think if you had like, have you, have you told yourself fucking one more injury or whatever or do you not even have that thought in your brain? Uh, I have at times said things like that to myself, yeah. But, um, then I get injured and decide it wasn't one more. <laughs> yeah, I know the feeling. It just sucks you back in, doesn't it? so hard to escape once you, you're really involved with this world. The problem is what you said before, where you said that you'll always lift. And I'll always yeah. lift. And then you'll start feeling good when you lift, and then you'll... Exactly, yeah. And then you put some... Because <laughs> that's what... When I did my hand, I was like... On social media, I was like, oh, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. But in my head, I'm like... No, this is this is serious now, Shay. You need to calm it down now. And I was like, you know, I'll just I'll just go in and do seventy for ten on the bench. Yeah. Went in and did seventy for ten, and then I did one forty for ten after it. Put it on Instagram. Oh, he's back! You're a freak. All this, and I'm like, yeah, I'm a freak. And then uh, <laughs> next minute, I'm fucking peaking again. I'm like, well, how did this happen? Yeah, that's a really similar process with every injury I've had. <laughs> I think if you want to lift, don't you? Yeah, but I tell myself I'm just going to lift for fun now. It's not serious. But then as soon as I do something half decent, I'm like, no, right? It's, it's I'm 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 an animal. <laughs> it's coming back. I also think it, another thing, <laughs> and, and don't get me wrong, I can't. Well, yeah, I I haven't had significant injuries since I've been competing in strongman or whatever. Uh, but I have done with other sports like football and stuff. Um, but I think I think a thing for for you guys, um, well, Shane, for instance, when you when you've when you've got injured, you'll still train, won't you? And you'll still do something, and you'll still go in the gym and be like, right, well, I'll go and max out my fucking rear delt banded flies or whatever. Like you'll go and do something, and and I feel like if you take that approach, then that kind of benefit when you come back to being rehabbed or you're not injured anymore like can give you actually so many benefits in terms of like like say say for instance the lighter work that you've been doing recently Shane and like say some bodybuilding stuff and more like like do you feel like you 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 may be getting some benefit from that you know maybe me be a bit more balanced or build some yeah well that's the when I when I did my hand my left side atrophied so I've done a lot of unilateral work coming back, which I was just doing it for that reason. And then I just feel more like, I don't know, it's just like that. I had a couple of shoulder niggles that had been there for so long. I just thought they were my shoulders. I went a bench and stuff and they just all disappeared. I mean, it could be the fact that I literally bathed in BPC 157 for about eight weeks, but you know, whatever I did sorted a lot of issues. Um, so yeah, definitely hundred percent. And now the way my logs going and stuff, everything's going really well. And 
if I hadn't have done that little phase of training, like if I'd have just tried to log when I first came in the gym, it wouldn't have happened. And I spat my dream out, I'd have gone home. But because I went in and went, I'm just going to do some machines and this and some bodybuilding shy. I felt good afterwards and I felt like I was making progress and then I upped the weight every week and then it just kind of naturally snowballs into lifting heavy again, I guess. I don't really know. Yeah, that's that's really similar to my experience with it. I, I kind of, um, I, I work at the gym, so I'm there all day anyway. So I'll, I'll have an injury like this and then I'll tell myself I'm not going to touch anything when I'm in the gym working. But then you're all you're there all day and by the end of the day, you've done a bit of something. Yeah. And yeah, it uh, just snowballs from there. Have you got like, a, talking about obviously, I know you're obviously enhanced now. So have you got like a go-to protocol you use for uh, injuries or not? Um, I like growth hormone. I've always gotten better with that than any of the peptides. Right, okay. So, um, but, but the thing with that is, what I like to do is not use it too early after an injury. I like to wait until I've regained full or close to full range of motion in whatever the affected joint was, and I'll start including things like that. Okay, so do you, do you exclude peptides completely, or do you kind of have a cocktail, so to speak? Um, I, d I have used peptides. I've just never found... I've, I've got the same results that I've got with growth hormone. And, really? Uh, Interesting. Where do you get your peptides from? Uh, so UK, UK peptides. Why right, do you recommend something different? What, the UK peptides? UK peptides are shite. If anyone uses UK peptides, uh, they'd always underdose massively. If you go to try re advertising. You know, here we go. We're going to get sued, Shane. We talked about this for fuck's sake. No, honestly, they're shite. They're, they're shite. Trident peptides. They're not shite. They're not shite. They're not shite. They're all, they're all right. Trident peptides used to be called Nucleus Research. They changed name for whatever fucking reason about two years ago. And they're. they're it's, it's just class. Shane, what, what about Cerberus, Shane? Cerberus <clears throat> peptides. That is what it is. Cerberus sell equipment as a fucking money laundering scheme. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, if anyone's going to buy peptides, it's because you type in on Google peptides and UK peptides goes to the top. And you, you can't find Trident peptides. And that's kind of the reason why they don't want to be you know that that well known um but their stuff's the, the customer services class and the stuff is properly dosed and perfect i know it works for facts i've had like fucking i don't know i've played i've told hundreds of people to use it and it always always works so there you go tom there's some tips for you yeah if you send me that message i'll consider that next time i have surgery <laughs> yeah <laughs> 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 It sounds like it's not going to come soon, but you just never know, do you, Tom? You just never know. Well, I didn't expect that one. I really didn't. I felt great going into that comp. I'd not had any problems with my elbow whatsoever. There was absolutely no sign of it warming up on that day. And then for it to happen halfway up a squat, I, I just don't know what I could have done differently there. Yeah, what actually, what, what's your cue then? Are you like extending your tricep into the bar or did, and, and it happened or did the bar like move or what I don't really know 
a tiny bit, not enough to do that, but I, uh, one of my cues I do use is I like to grab the bar and just gently apply pressure outwards. Because I find what this does is it disengages the bicep a bit and reduces a lot of pain that people get from um, bicep tendonitis when doing low bar squats. So I am trying to engage the tricep a little bit. But I think the issue on that day was the bar was particularly whippy and my arms were just having to do too much to um, control the bar, really. Right, okay. Was it not a squat bar then, or was it like a Texas squat bar? Squat bar, yeah. Yeah, they're quite whippy, aren't they, for squat bars? Um, I'd, I'd rather use an electrical power bar to that, to be honest. Yeah, when uh, when I, I hadn't used the Texas squat bar till I went to Hicks's gym, and I unracked 220, and I was like, this must be a power bar or something. Yeah. And then I was like, oh... I was like, is this the squat bar? It was really, I don't I couldn't understand why it was so whippy because it was thicker, but I was like, it's whippy. It, it really shouldn't be whipping at 220, but, but they do. And um, I'm quite spoiled, the gym I train at, because we've, um, we, we've got some really high quality 35 mil squat bars and they just don't move at all, no matter what weight you've got on. Um, what you hear, actually, what's your verdict on the Strength Shop 35 mil squat bar? I, I think that's got a lot of potential. It's, Straight out of the bat, it's, um, I'd, I'd say, significantly better than the Strength Shop 32mm bar and the equivalent Texas bar. Uh, I'd, I'd certainly be a lot happier to see that on a platform I was competing at than either of the 32mm options. I'd say currently it's not quite as stiff as the AOA or the Sportscraft 35mm bars, but um, we're working on that. Yeah. Because I, I messaged Logan trying to get one, and he was like, oh, no, we've only got one. I've sent it to Tom. I was like, bastard. <laughs> Try it sometime if you like. But um, I, I think I think we're definitely going to do a little bit better than this first. Right, okay. So you're giving him like a bit of feedback on it and stuff? Yeah. yeah. Okay, that's awesome. Yeah, so, so when it's released, it's going to be Tom Martin approved then? Uh, yeah. As best as I have influence over it, yeah. <laughs> You like you like the um, you like this the uh, safety squat bar, don't you, from Strength Shop? I do, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I've got three of those. I think they're great. I prefer, the, uh, prefer to the Watson actually. The Watson's really whippy, isn't it? Now, I don't have much experience with with safety squat bars apart from uh, I think I've used the York one a few times. It's quite whippy. Um, I've used the earlier model, the Strength Shop, uh, the Strength Shop brought out. Where you know, oh, they, were, they were fucking awful, weren't they? Yeah, you, you have to tackle your way to unrack it first. Yeah, um, you'd be hearing, and then you'd see it would be like fucking almost past your ears. Right, I'd be like, this. You're like uh, a lot of work on that bar when I was rehabbing um, after my bicep surgery, and I think I just moaned about it too much on Instagram. And Strength Shop got in contact with me then and um, sent me this prototype of the, the Riot one, huh. which uh, Steve Andy Kearney had a big part in the design of that. And, uh, yeah, I've, I've loved that bar since. Yeah, well, I have used the Riot safety bar for years. And then when it came to buying the safety bar, one of the lads in the gym was like, you got to get this, this you can invest in all in this kit, get this safety bar, get this safety bar. It was all shiny and expensive, the Elite FTS one. So I was like, you know what, fuck it, I'll get it. And it, yeah, it, the padding's better, admittedly, 
but as as a whole, for the I think it's like triple the price. The the, the riot one's so much better than it. I wish I got a riot. I wish I got a riot um, safety bar. It's just the angle on it, the no whip. It's just perfect. This is the thing you have to consider with strength shot, though. Is is the price? I get asked quite a lot. Compare uh, their equipment with um, other manufacturers' equipment that sometimes cost two or three times as much, and and obviously the really expensive one is a better piece of equipment in most cases. But you're just completely out of the price range you would be if you're looking at the strength shop stuff. So it, um, it depends what you want to spend, really. Mm. I think prices strength shops sell their bars. I, I I really doubt you'd find anything comparable. Yeah, I think the great. I think like the uh, how much would the Watson one be to buy? Like five, four or five hundred quid or something like that. You felt like nearly six hundred, man. Is it? Where, yeah. Whereas um, the, what I like about the Watson is it feels like. Feel like I don't know whether it's the camber or whatever, but it feels like more like high bar. It doesn't feel like you'd be like you're being pulled forward as much. Um, so from my experience, in terms of like, it depends what you're using it for, doesn't it? I suppose. Um, but it just felt 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 quite. Have you used Hicks's and it's like it's just like whipping. Well, I think I think everybody should be using the safety bar to try and force themselves to maintain an upright torso. Yeah, and then most people tend to end up going into like a good morning style thing, and I'm like, it's it's not going to carry over to you. You squat very well. Yeah, you see that a lot. That's that's. I think what happens is people get to the hard part of the way up, and they just pull the handles down, and that shifts all the weight back, and then you basically just deadlift it from there. And um, it seems like, it's like I don't know. It's just an immediate reward from doing that, which is why people keep doing it because it lets them artificially squat more. But it's it's really, as I think, taking away from the the main point of the using the bar. Yeah. I actually try the opposite when I squat on that bar. On the ascent, I'll push the handles up, which yeah. is going to reinforce more upright torso. It's going to shift the weight a little bit further forward ahead of me. And um, that, for me, is the benefit of using the safety squat bar, is it makes it harder to um, to use really good positions when you squat. Yeah. But what what about so somebody using it to like say a strongman who doesn't not really bothered so much about squat really, and they just maintain it in the background and they're doing it as a deadlift assistance exercise. Could you see the value in them strengthening this mongy position, on, or would you still want to go? I wouldn't in? want to train my deadlift that way. I I think there's so many things I'd go to before that. Yeah, yeah, and you're just drilling a bad squat mechanic. I, I maybe maybe that might some application in in training for um, stones or something like that. Hmm. Uh, I know in a lot of strongman events, you get yourself in some horrific positions just because of the shape of the equipment you have to lift. Yeah, the way the way I look at it is, if you're using that for deadlift assistance, I would just rather get someone to deadlift, and then also the upright torso thing on the safety squat bar i think if you get strong at that it just has loads of carryover to everything um if i was using it for deadlift assistance i'd be using it exactly the same as i would be for squat assistance yeah so with with a view to making your dead making your deadlift in a like a kind of better positionally rather than just strengthening the mongy position does that make some sense yeah 
giving yourself the strength to maintain those ideal positions when you deadlift instead of the strength to get out of some bad positions. Yeah. Mm. Um, so making it again, another strongman specific question that I think you have a great input to Tom. Um, so peaking at peak, peaking a rack squat for somebody who's shit at squatting. Like, oh, well, this is, this is an England, this is, not, this is a Britain's, isn't it? Under 90. Yeah. Yeah. I've got, I've got, a, I've got a comp coming up in, what is it? About eight weeks or something. And I'm, Fucking dog shit at squatting, Tom. I'm absolutely d- terrible, and um, I'm, I, just, I just need to get good at it. <laughs> it's a max squatting wraps, Tom. You say eight weeks? Yeah. So th- there's loads you could do long term to progress this, but it's not necessarily going to benefit you eight weeks from now. Right. Well, I'll give, give me the the scenario then. I did, like I'm about to say 200 in 200 low bar in sleeves I did the other day um but in a in a comp in January where we were allowed to use wraps and a suit I did what did I do 270 275 272.5 or something like that but I feel like without the suit I, I feel like I'm getting more out of the suit than getting out of the wraps if you will he's quite suit. Wait. there you go you're squatting in a hip dominant way. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, that will get more from the suit than the wraps, definitely. Yeah. If you um if your event was was just knee wraps only, I'd be learning how to squat in a really quad dominant way. Yeah. That's my that's my problem because I like I always hide away from that position, if you will, because like strong, that- like posterior chain dominant really. Yeah. Um, that's not really a quick fix, which is why if, if your time frame was eight weeks, you, you might be better served trying to strengthen your strengths, to be honest, rather than uh, you lift apart and, and start off so far behind where you were because you're just not strong in this ideal position yet. But, yeah. but that's going to be the way to go. So, so you're saying that the ideal position, more ideal position longer term would be learning how to squat with wraps in a more knee dominant way? Absolutely. Right to load the more. Well, yeah, let's talk about this. So, some people get as much as 100 kilos out of knee wraps. So, that basically means they've got 100 kilos more on their back than they can actually squat. Only got support on one joint, and that's the knees. So, they really need to load that joint when they squat. You don't want to shift any of that extra 100 kilos onto your unsupported hips. Because you can't squat that weight, yeah. you have to use it. So, yeah, so yeah. basically, putting support on only one joint—that's where you you want to be shifting the weight to. Mm. Makes, makes complete sense, man. Yeah, so that's going to result in a, a really quad dominant squat where you've got knees bent for as much of the lift as possible, and you've got the most upright torso possible. Did it, it, am I remembering this right, Tom? Like you did, what did you do? Equip? Did you do something like three hundred plus when you were doing two hundred uh, raw? Yeah. So the the most I did in in the suit and wraps was three thirty. Was a gym lift, and I'd say around that time my raw squat probably was no higher than two hundred. Yeah. 
That makes sense. So, so that, I suppose that's similar to where I am really now. Into but but two seven two seven five say my limit. Yeah. Off the two hundred row. So, um, but I was squatting to use a suit there. So that was a really hip dominant squat because yeah. that is where you're going to get most of your benefit from. Is probably the suit more than the knee wraps. Yeah. Um, what I suggest is is being able to squat in a lot of different styles. Yeah. The thing is, you can squat in that style, Josh. You just, you just shy of the thing. Yeah, my my problem is, I'm scared of fucking Tom. I'm I'm like, I do do like a body weight squat or a fucking ten kilo goblet squat, and I'm scared of like driving my knees forward, like because I just feel like my knees are gonna give way, kind of thing. They never do, but it's just like a. Yeah. That, from having weak quads though yeah well, that's it and I'm in, I'm in like a vicious cycle with it i like stay away from it because you know, it takes me ages to get to get to ready the position where i can actually use my quads and it doesn't feel like i'm using my knees and then i think all this time i've spent fucking 45 minutes to feel to do a 60 kilo squat and making it feel good when i could be strengthening my strengths in my other lifts that are more likely to come up in comps. Do you understand what I mean? If, if you try this process again with knee wraps on, I think you'll, you'll find it a lot easier to do it because that's basically just a free boost to your quad strength. And that's the thing that I think you're missing that is uh, making it so uncomfortable for you to be in those positions. So if you try again with a bit of support around the knee, you, you might find you have a better time with it. So for, for me then, in the next, whatever, eight weeks or whatever, um, we'll, like how, how often would you recommend squatting in wraps in terms of like, I'm, I'm obviously going to build skill and I'm going to build up tolerance in terms of the tightness that it feels comfortable, etc. cetera. Uh, as, as a safe, comfortable answer, I'd say twice. No, um, I, 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 mate, I'm an idiot. I'll do anything. I'll do anything. I'll... Just, just deadlifts five days a week, Tom. They fucking look at shit. I think you can get the job done with twice. Um, <laughs> by all means, if you're feeling like you're uh, you're recovering fine from that, I mean, your knees are getting chewed up by wrapping them all the time. And um, well, to, to be honest, I'm so, I'm such a noob to it, Tom, that my, my knees aren't getting chewed up from wrapping them all the time because I'm not getting them on tight enough. I can't tolerate the discomfort of getting them on tight enough where they're actually getting hurt. Does well, that make that's sense? The first place to start then, I think. This uh, because none of what we're talking about matters at all if you're, if you're not using them at the full potential. Yeah, because I've only just started adding knee wraps back in myself <clears throat> after quite a while off them and just in sleeves and some of the shite. And because I know the feeling of like what it's meant to feel like, I just put them on like that the first session. And even though it was intolerable, I was like, no, this is right. And well, then two the next session's fine. Sorry, say that again, Tom. Like two or three sessions later, it's fine, isn't it? Yeah, it's fine now. Yes, it's fine. Yeah. Well, I did. I did some. To, I did some tonight. Actually, this. I did some today, and I got them on tighter than when I did on Monday, and it it did feel more comfortable. To be fair, 
Um, but for me, it's just like the, the, the mind fuck of driving my, knee, driving my knees, knees forward to load the load. Yeah, but Tom told me something fucking ages ago, I always remember, which is that knee wraps fix everything. <laughs> and I remember because I can't remember what I said to him. I said to him like, "Make me knees feeling a bit fucking gammy on today." Like, I don't know if I could do it. And I remember he just went, "Knee wraps fix everything." And that's like his, his only reply. And I was like, oh, "Fair enough." So then I just put my knee wraps on a bit earlier, and I was like, "Oh yeah, it's gonna hurt now." Uh, so sometimes I think that you can't judge your, you can't judge your squat warm ups by you know, naked knee fucking 70 kilo. you got to just get them cranked and see what happens. I find the more work you do in wraps, if, you're, if you know you've got a wrap session today and you start your warm-ups raw, all your raw warm-ups are going to feel like complete shit. Cool. So, so to, to, to like a beginner, like novice level person like me to wrap in, like what, 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 like how many sets should, what should I do? Like for example, for me, it just made sense to do just th for for the sake of time. I did three sets on um, three sets on Monday. I did a bit. Basically, did three sets with for like sets of ten on Monday, just to build up a bit of tolerance or whatever. I did one in the wraps. You mean you did three yeah. sets wrapped? Yeah. Right, okay. Like one light, one medium, one quite tight, and then today I did some triples, double sing. I did like three sets again, but. I triple double single or whatever um what would you say would you would you say maybe do 10 sets or I, around four sets four sets yeah i'd um i'd rather do more sessions with less sets in than really hammer it in one session okay i think you'll learn the rap better that way as well rather than for josh and the listeners tom let's let's just uh, let's pick some magic figures i know these aren't yours josh but say they were doing 120, 170, 220, 230, 240, whatever, four sets. Would the wrap, would you change the tightness or revolutions of the wrap each rep, uh, or sorry, each weight, or would you uh, try and replicate it? What I do is I, I have two different strengths of wrap. And on the lighter ones, I'll, I'll use a weaker wrap just because I, I like to wrap it as should be wraps at you know the, the maximum potential from that wrap. I don't I don't like to back off and do it a bit looser. I don't think um, you're really preparing yourself for what you're going to be going on your top set that way. So I I prefer to do is, is get your wraps on properly each set, but wear a wrap that's appropriate for the amount of weight that's on the bar. Yeah. So you so to clarify, keep your technique like exactly the same in terms of wrapping, but the the uh, the t the I suppose the thickness of the of the wrap. Yeah, so I, I do this with um, yeah. with um, all aspects really. If I'm if, if I'm warming up for a lift that's going to be done in a belt and wraps, I'm I'm going to get that belt on straight away as well. Just because um, I think your warm up needs to be specific to to the task that you're preparing for. Yeah. A lot of my clients are listening to this thinking, this guy says a lot of shit that Shane says. And what I just say, by the way, I learned a lot of this stuff off Tom years ago just from following him on Sugden. Like the deadlift, everyone used to rip me in the gym. Like, Why you got your belt on for six kilo deadlift? And I'm like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it on for 230 or whatever Max was at the time. So I'm like, I'm doing it. But uh, no one listens to you when you got a 230 deadlift. But then suddenly when you get strong, people are like, oh, 
I'll listen to this guy. And that's what, when I'm warming up, I use the strength shop Thor wraps and I'll, I'll get, I'll still get as many reps and I'll get them on nice and tight. They're only two meters, I think though. And, um, I still get them on as tight as possible, but as many reps as I can and I'll do my sets. And as I get to, for me, it's like about, about 220, 250 area, I'll transition to my uh, stiffer wrap. And that's how I do it. But the wrap itself, I still wrap them the same and get as many reps as I can. I don't, I don't put a stiff wrap on loosely. It's a easier wrap on tight. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, got got another question on squatting, Tom. Um, Should everybody who is aiming to squat the most amount of weight possible aim to do low bar? No, not necessarily. And what what instances would would you stick? Like <coughs> assuming that flexibility isn't isn't an issue. Um, if someone's flexible enough to get a good low bar squat, why? Would, what would the rationale be behind keeping them high bar? Uh, leverage is going to play a big role in this. So you, you might find someone who's got some really unfortunate positioning, but they're really mobile and can carry it off. Uh, this this person might want to consider a different bar position because um, just because they have the mobility to to do this low bar squat with you know maybe they've got a lot of forward lean, they've got a, a, a really long femur perhaps which keeps the hips really far behind the uh, centre of mass. Uh, it, it might not be ideal for him. He might benefit from putting the bar a bit higher up and maintaining a, a more vertical torso position. But there's lots to consider, really. Sometimes you, you just have to try both for your lifter and, and see which is strongest. Yeah. Some people just super high. Some people, you just look at high bar squat, and sometimes you just can be like, I don't see the benefit to going low bar. Like, that's fine. Like Because often with high bar, the upper back breaks. But if, if yeah. that's not happening in this, and it's just leg strength issue, I always think to myself, well, they're not going to really get, they're going to gain a hinge and stuff from low bar, but they're not going to get necessarily stronger. No. And again, if you're, if you're squatted in knee wraps, it, it might be completely different again. So I've, um, I have some people who squat low bar in sleeves and then they'll squat high bar in wraps just because for those particular variations, that's just how they're strongest. Right. Okay. Interesting. So your hip dominant squatter, for example, might benefit more from low bar and hip dominant positioning when wearing sleeves. Uh, and then when they've got the extra weight on the bar because they're using wraps, then you might find their positioning needs to be completely different to be able to pull that off. Yeah, because yeah. I guess if the goal is the forward knee travel. I suppose without really thinking about it, actually, I've just realised that I've found a bit of a... Since playing with the knee wraps, I've actually found a bit more comfortable position, um, like like in the middle, really, like mid mid bar between high bar and low bar. That actually feels better with the wraps than doing a normal low bar would with just in sleeves. That's the position I would I would class myself in personally. Yeah, um, I, I may squat more without wraps if I had a lower bar position. But I've never really trained that way because when I'm even when I'm not squatting in wraps, I'm still trying to strengthen everything that I'm going to use when I have the wraps on. Huh. So, yeah, I, I 
yeah, so for me, I um, I find my strongest position in wraps and then I replicate that whatever the squat I'm doing it. Yeah. Do you, um, find that, your, do you find your width of your stance changes raw to wrapped or not? No, not at all. Okay. Maybe it would if I was um, if I was playing for the biggest raw squat I could. But again, I just I just keep it the same as I would in wraps, just because that's what I'm trying to prepare myself for. Mm. Reason I ask is that because I've been doing a lot of raw. I'm not squatting wraps for about fucking hell, it must be. I don't know, maybe a year or something, and and, and I think I've naturally brought my stance in. Because I'm a very quad dominant squatter, and then when I transitioned to the wrap, I was like, "Hmm, something doesn't feel like it used to." And then I widened my stance, and I was like, "Ah, there we go." So I didn't know if that was something you'd. Um... So maybe you just didn't have room to squat in wraps with that same stance because it maybe took a little bit more knee flexion to get to depth than it does with a wider stance. So the, the way I um, the way I approach this is I'm. When I'm squatting in wraps, I'm looking for the maximum amount of knee flexion that I can get with the wraps on as tight as possible. And then I'm going to pick my stance width to, to facilitate reaching depth with that amount of knee flexion. Yeah, okay. Have you still got time, by the way, Tom? I've only just realised it's fucking been two hours. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, right, okay, cool. I just, I just realised I was like, all right. I'm going to uh, bring up my question box, Josh, one sec. So I'm going to go. All right. Well, Kit, can I just ask the next question, Tom? Yeah, yeah. I'm just going to just say my video's going to go off. So, so about uh, strongman programming for deadlift, right? I see quite a lot of um, a lot of a lot of people who are, who have this kind of problem where they're they're really good at kind of repping a high percentage of their max, um, which is suited for like say deadlift for rep events, for instance. Um, and then they come to like say a max or do a heavy single and they're not the kind of, you, you know, like say you put it in a one rep max calculator and it doesn't, re it doesn't really add up to like, um, have you got any experience of this or could you, or what's your opinion on it? Um, it doesn't really work with the one rep max calculators I find. Pardon? I find deadlift really doesn't work with the one rep max calculators. Um, the other two lists, I'm not going to say they follow the prediction the calculator gives, no. but as an individual lifter should have some idea of how many reps translates to what for yourself. Yeah, and, I'm, not, I'm not saying they're reliable, but I'm saying if there was yeah. like some, somebody who is way off the mark, like... Yeah, um, but I find that these figures you might have for your squat and your bench just aren't going to apply at all to your deadlift. Hmm. And I think this comes down to stretch reflex, probably. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, maybe you know what? If you if you walked your deadlift outside from the top, tapped the floor, and came back up, I yeah. bet you probably does follow a similar pattern to the percentages. Yeah, it, 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 essentially, like your your bench and your squat first first and second rep are the same, aren't they? It's pretty much where in terms of stretch reflex, whereas the deadlift, the first rep is. Two, three, four, and five are the same, but, num but that first rep skill is is completely different, isn't it? Yeah. So the biggest thing you need to train there is your rate of force development. All right. Okay. Because um, you, you you need to be able to gen generate as much power as is needed to get that bar off the floor without relying on any stretch reflex for that first rep. Can I uh, pinch in here with a, a question that I was going to ask? 
that well that someone's asked sorry that fits there they asked do you rate or use dynamic effort work on the deadlift uh to me that's just warming up i'm i'm going to lift every weight from 70 kilos upwards as fast as i can um so i don't I, very rarely see the need to to add any of that in for myself or any of my lifters. Do you, do you, could you see like the skill acquisition benefit of 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 it? Well, I, I'm going to work in similar um, percentage and rep ranges as a dynamic effort work for skill acquisition. I'm never thinking this is generating something I'm going to carry over to the heavier lifts more so than just what your warm up sets will be anyway on the way up to that heavy lift. Yeah. And then just because you've got to your top lift, it doesn't mean you're now um, generating less. You're, um, you're, you're still trying to lift that weight as fast as possible. So I think um, the intent to speed is sometimes more important than the actual bar speed. So really, you, you should be trading dynamic effort every rep you do, whether it's your first warm-up or your heaviest grinding single. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. Don't really have an argument to that, so yeah. I suppose that um, it goes back to the uh, what we were saying before about, say, strongman and powerlifting being a little bit different because with powerlifting, we're assuming that the, um, the lifter is skilled in this kind of first rep kind of thing, you know what we said, w without relying on that stretch reflex. Um, hmm. I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't know what I'm, what I was going to say. I'm like, where's he going here? <laughs> I, can't, I can't get out what's in my little brain. I can't put it into words. So we'll go to the next question, Shane. <laughs> well, before I ask this, is there anything you, because I really just fucking babbled shit, Tom, but is there anything you want to talk about specifically or not? Nothing in particular. I'm, I'm happy to, to just sit and chat about um, whatever people want to ask. Yeah. Right. Okay, cool. Uh, I've got two questions. So the, these are the last two I've been asked as well. Yeah, we'll, we'll wrap it up after these two questions because I, we could just talk shit all night, mate. Yeah, we're pretty bad for it, mate. Um, so the first one's quite personal. Well, I guess it's personal. I don't know. I don't know. You don't have to answer it. Don't feel pressure to answer it. But the people are asking, what was your first cycle? I've been asked this four times. What was your first cycle and um, how long for and do you uh, another one was kind of like do you come off and on or blast and cruise kind of thing what's your approach to this okay very first cycle was uh 500 milligrams of testy and i started that with three weeks of dianabol at 30 milligrams a day right so that explains the 100 kilos then yeah um that like uh I probably lasted on the 500 milligrams of tests for 12 weeks, which I think might have taken me up to a competition I'd entered. I might have planned it that way. I can't remember. But I, I usually um, work on the, the higher or moderate dosages for about 12 weeks, and then I'll drop down to a cruise then. Right, okay. So how long ago was this? It was about five five years ago, wasn't it? I think, I think I'm maybe coming up to five years now, yeah. So have you cruised the whole time? Uh, the vast majority of the time, yeah. Mm. Uh, I've taken occasional breaks just from apathy, really, but um, it, it was never really planned. Yeah. And do you get your 
health markers and stuff done or are you not really? Uh, yeah, yeah. But um, the thing is, I've not actually had to go and um, look for that specifically because I've been in hospitals so many times and had so much blood work done there that I've... Um... <laughs> just, just comes with the injuries. <laughs> yeah, but I, um, I suppose I would aim for twice a year checks if I... Um, if I wasn't otherwise getting them anyway. Do you advise, so from a listener perspective, do you, do you advise people that aren't in and out of the emergency room like us to get a blood work done? Uh, yeah, yeah, you, 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 want to know, you want to know what's going on inside you. And also you, you can use the information to um, plan better cycles for yourself as well, really. That's cool. And then I guess this leads into the final thing that someone asked, which was about on the, on the ped subject, anyway, which is the, uh, what is it you ran for your thousand kilo total? If you, you don't have, again, don't, have, don't feel pressured to answer. I don't want to put you on the spot here. Well, I have put you on the spot. But <laughs> uh, this is going to be a little bit off the top of my head, I suppose. Um, around that time, I, I liked master on quite a lot. I suspect I was probably doing something like 600 milligrams test, uh, maybe a gram of Masteron, uh, and I was probably taking a bit of Anavar as well. So are you at 110 at this point? I'm about 117 at the moment. But, but when you were running this stuff though, were you, were, you about the, were you in the 110 class at that point? You know, 107 that day. Yeah. So just for people listening, like 1,600 milligrams total dosage kind of sounds high, but when you're like, let's just say 110 kilo lean, that's only really around 12 milligram per kilo of body weight, which is a pretty, you know, commonly used um, dose. So it's not crazy, super physiological dosages or anything. It's pretty decent for your, your, your body weight. You're 107 kilo of lean beef, aren't you? So, hmm. Yeah, um, but I've, um, I've since found... Like, <laughs> just casually agrees to the lean beef. Yeah, I just shredded. Um, Tom, I, 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 can you see me? Tom, I've oh. got zero muscle mass. <laughs> yeah, I, I was definitely quite lean at 107. I'm probably not so much now because I'm 10 kilos heavier. But, um, yeah. Yeah. I always like to go through lot peds because, to me, it's this subject where... Everybody like, I mean, I see it on your Instagram, I get it on my Instagram, I've seen it on yours. People like, um, when you make that transition from natural to uh, enhanced, it doesn't matter what you did when you're natural, it doesn't matter what you achieved, how long you're natural for, what your first cycle was, whether it was like a bit of Anavar, a bit of test, whatever. But as soon as you make that jump, people make the assumption of, oh, all this has come from gear and over the years of using the like, oh, well, he's been on a couple of years now. He must be on thousands of milligrams and all this, and it's just bollocks. Uh, yeah, yeah, this was actually quite surprising to me because um, I, I thought the progress I made when I started using should have more than convinced everyone that I wasn't actually using anything before then. Because um, if, if you'd have paid attention, what you'd have seen is that over 12 weeks, I put on about 15 kilos body weight and my total went from 780 up to 890. Hmm. So for, for people to see that happen and, and then 
look back at you know what I was lifting and what I looked like before then. I I don't know why you would um, you would think that. And what, yeah, what, no, but it, what it, it, again, it just it just snowballs. Like John Hack at the moment has been quite open about his transition, and it's it's obvious that he's done it. You know what I mean? He looks yeah. like a different human, and he's benching fucking two sixty. Um, but again, he'll still get that stigma of oh, he was just passing tests before, and now he's you know on longer. It's like oh, what are you on about? Yeah, because he must have put at least two hundred kilos on his total. Yeah, in, in what seems like about 12 to 15 weeks or something. Uh, it's been a bit longer than that, I think. But um... oh, is it? I've, only, I've only started taking note over the last, I'd say, three months. Maybe I've missed the initial... You know, based on the results he's had since being open about what he's doing, I, I wouldn't be suspicious of what he claimed to be natural. Yeah, well, exactly. The same with, with you. It was, uh, like I say, you were on that 350 deadlift. I remember it. You were around that marker for so long. Yeah. And then within 12 weeks, that was 370. Yeah. And, you, and you're twice the size. Suddenly, you'd, you'd think people would go, ah, so that's when it happened. But, yeah. No. What, what you're getting said is people say things like, uh, do you think we should be looking at all the records he set? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, have people said that? Yeah, yeah. Oh my god! So, so, if you set a record, you now have to be drug-free for the entirety of your existence to keep the records. Well, this happened to um, Jay Hollingsworth. He, um, he used to lift in the BA, which um, they're, they're really anti-drugs, and then um, he did a few ABPU comps as well. Um, never actually competed untested at all but they, they took um took offense to what he'd been doing and stripped him of all the records it's set in their federation even though the he'd BDFPA. Never... yeah yeah fucking shit tom i got banned from bdfpa for two years I don't even take year yeah josh got banned <laughs> josh is banned oh. <laughs> uh ridiculous is it for association with shane or something well, like it, that it was, it was... <laughs> I remember putting on the uh, putting on the like um, kind of Facebook page or whatever the national page or whatever um, something they, they were slating um, basically they were slating like untested feds and I, and I like pointed out that how good it was that there is a platform for people to compete untested and how good it is for the BDFPA. Well, they'd be unhappy if we were all lifting in their comps. Fucking hell! Like. And then someone said something back and like just being derogatory to people who were enhanced. And I just, and I just pointed out that I coach people who were natural and enhanced and I'm equally proud of um, the progress of people who, who compete in both, both sides and people didn't like it. But it's not complicated, is it? It's the program for both usually find I'm, I'm starting from um, the same starting point principle-wise. just find the parameters are a little bit different. One of them is going to make more progress quicker than the other. Um, but I, I really don't think it's any challenge at all to, to coach both. No, it's ridiculous. I think, yeah, so some of the, I think it might be BDFPA that, like, say, don't, don't allow you to 
even compete in like say A B is it A B P U? That's right. That's what um that's what Jay got pulled up on for. It, is Jay the guy? Right. Does he have a big sumo deadlift? He does. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I know who. Yeah, I recognise Jay Baldhead. Yeah, I know. I know yeah, I've seen him lift. He's a very good lifter. That's crazy that they stripped him. He, he's he is natural though because he lifts in the. He's 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 never failed a drug test and he's never competed in an untested federation. Um, That's crazy. That, 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 power trip or something. It's weird. I, I think people don't, um, they don't they don't like it when you leave their group, do they? Yeah, it's weird. I think BDFPA have like a, a bad foot for it because there's um, sure that Shane. Do you know R Richard, who a coach? He does the yeah, yeah. Only he he's just competed in what is it the comp this week and ABPU ABPU one uh, that uh, Ben France was competing in as well actually. Um, but he's just he's just competed in the be the bench only there, and he's also competing with British powerlifting as well. Um, but but I'm sure he's got. I'm sure he's had a funny email off BDFPA saying because he competed in all three for a little bit, and they've said that he he can't compete in the BDFPA anymore. It's fucking yeah. Bold. BDFPA absolutely won't tolerate that. British powerlifting uh, should be fine unless he competes in a different federation. Well, this isn't really so much a tested versus non-tested thing. This is just um, if if you're an IPF lifter, you, you're not allowed to compete internationally for another federation so that's that's mm -hmm. the only thing across there but yeah personal experience british powerlifting have been um a lot more sensible sensible about it than bdfpa yeah i think the people who run bdfpa have, they just kind of seem really old school and like setting the ways and if you if you disobey their little rule set like josh on that forum all he's doing is uh Giving an opinion, you can't. Didn't you get? I thought your clients got banned as well. Are you banned from coaching at the comps? I don't know, mate. I just w washed my hands of it, but it, it, it was ridiculous because I had like by probably like thirty lifters at one point that uh, steered that had yeah, got. We used to say, we used to joke, say that you're keeping them alive because you just built the comps. <laughs> well, that was it. It was running, running comp, well, organizing comps and stuff, and it was just ridiculous. But anyway. Right, should I get this final question asked then? It's a simple one. I should have pushed it asked at the start. It's pretty fucking shit now, really. Sorry, CC Strength, that your question's shit and it's at the end of all this good talk. But um, <laughs> it's going to be one of those, would you Would you rather have 10 dicks or <laughs> five penises on your hands or something? No, whatever. I like, I like CC, so I promised him I'd ask it, but I fucking forgot till three hours in. But he said... What do you do, Tom? I, I already know what I'm, well, I'm hoping I know what you're going to say. But what do you do, Tom, if you are peaking a lifter for a comp and they hit the peak a bit too early? I thought about two weeks early, they peak a bit too early. What do you do? When, when you say peak, do you mean like they've hit the numbers you had in mind a bit early or they have uh, reached a point where they're no longer able to progress from where they are too early? I'm assuming that the latter, but I oh, that's no, I, I, rec I reckon Shane, I reckon what he's meaning is that he's basically hit his PB early 
like what should he be doing from there like because i think it'd be hard to tell if you have truly peaked basically he came around my house the other week for tea and he was chatting it was only a question box and it's so only put about five fucking words in but he was saying about how his last deadlift peak he was like i just was feeling great and hitting all these numbers on my scheduled program um you know two weeks out from when i'm supposed to test and then the next two weeks just went shite and on reflection i wish i maxed uh you know, two weeks previous. Um, if, if this is a comp prep, you're going to have to salvage it now. So um, if, 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 if it's not and you've hit your PB two weeks, you just leave it and start again, basically. But I, what I'd probably do would be um, I'd spend them final two weeks taking an initial bit of rest and then just trying to sharpen up again in the last week. So I'd, um, I'd, I'd, I'd let myself get a bit of recovery first and then I would um, just do whatever I have to do to, um, to feel like I've done enough training to still be sharp on the day. Yeah. Do, do you know what I mean? Have you, have you ever had a prep like yourself where you're on comp day and you thought, I wish I felt like I did two weeks ago or have you never kind of experienced that? So I, I play this a bit differently than most people in that I'll usually be really happy if I hit something two or three weeks out that I can then replicate on the platform. So I'm, I'm usually planning around actually somewhat hitting that peak a few weeks out. Yeah, you see, I'm very much, I, this is why I thought we'd have a similar answer because I'm very much like you in respect of, I just love lifting and getting PBs. And if I were to log 180 two weeks out from a competition that I was supposed to log 180 in, and then got 175 on the day, I'd still be like, I'm glad I cashed in and got that 180. Because, oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and yeah. that's what I would have said to CC, which is, I would have said, if you Dude. fucking felt great two weeks out, just take the fucking lift and then... Because this one competition is such a small part of the path you're taking now that, you know, what you're going to lift one or two years down the road in a different competition is not going to be impacted in the slightest based on whether you hit that PB in this current competition or two weeks early. Either way, you've, you've ticked off that box and, and you're moving on from there and getting stronger. Mm, yeah. The only comps that matter, in my opinion, are the ones where you're going for... You've got something in mind which is like end of lifting like well for me in my brain anyway i don't really have any end of lifting life fucking goals but let's say it was a thousand kilo total and i said and i told myself i want to put that on the platform before i hang up my boots then i would be really focusing on the total but up, up till then you've got 10 years of uh enjoying yeah. it what boots are you hanging up shane what what boots are you hanging up well i'll hang them up and then i'll get them back out again to have a bit of fun and then i'll start lifting again that is what I'll, in the fucking masters over sixty three one hand class. Well, <laughs> like you said about if you've got something in mind, a big target you have to set. I, I probably would in that case. I'm, I'm going to hold back a little bit on the run up, but what I'm going to want to be is capable of doing more than I have planned in that comp. Um, so yeah, if I if so if for a big total, so I needed a four hundred squat. I'm, I probably in that case wouldn't be doing it two weeks out. I'd be maybe looking at uh, building up to something like 390 in a linear way 
one or two weeks out from the comms, so that the 400 on the platform is just the next logical step it would have been in, in my um, in my program. Yeah. But you're able to do it this way if, if you've got a really solid grasp of what's realistic for you on the day and you can work backwards from there and build into it. Mm. If you're kind of going in a little bit blind, you, you may well hit your peak and your PB two weeks out because you've no idea what you're really aiming for anyway. But if for your whole prep, you have in mind these certain numbers you need to lift on the day, you're going to plan your training so that you hit them on that day, not two weeks earlier. Yeah. What's your approach to attempt, Tom, on the day? Uh, I'm, I'm, I need to go to bed. Sorry, fucking, he's, he's <laughs> the smartest minds in country. I've got to pick his head, don't I? <laughs> give, us, give us till half 11 at latest, yeah? I'm, I'm usually planning around doing what I wanted from the comp on my second attempts. Right. If, if I think I can squeeze a bit more out on the third, I'll do it. Uh, I'd, li I'd like to say I'd be smart enough to leave it if I didn't think I could um, do a bit more. That's not always the case. But um, yeah, first attempt, something safe, something that you might take as a last warm-up in training if you were... Um, going for this number you had in mind for the comp. Second attempt is either going to be whatever number I had in mind for the comp or uh, perhaps a two and a half increase on whatever my comp best is anyway. And then third, I'll either leave it or if I feel like I'm having a really good day and there's more to be taken there, then I'll do it. Cool. So, you, so you're not basically, you're not, shy of, you're not shy of skipping a third lift then, which is... Uh... No, I've not done it often, but there's been a lot of times when I thought, that would have been because for me personally especially in, i mean not so much the bench and the deadlift but for me on the squat personally i feel in comps very rushed to to wrap yeah. very like I'd, I'd rather get my number on my second attempt because by the third attempt sometimes i can't even i don't even want to roll my wraps and stuff yeah that when i did that thousand total i hit my um, I hit my squat target on the second squat, and I just did not want to do a third at all. Well, that's um, that's a day where you've got a very specific plan in mind, and you don't always compete that way. You, you can only really do that if you're basically unopposed. If you're actually in the competition to try and win um, against people that are going to be close to you, you, it's a completely different strategy again on the um, on your attempt selection. So you'd be yeah. using that sec the second lift to like build your total? Yeah, this is just like some, some glory comp where I'm going for numbers that I want to hit and I'm not particularly interested in the competition. Right, okay. So I'm just going to treat it the way or as close as is reasonable to the way I would have prepared for that number in a training session, which might mean I'm taking a big jump from my first to second. Interesting. Yeah, because after my last piloting comp, I was having a lot of thoughts about my attempts, that was all. And I decided on basically that, that I wanted to try and make my seconds the numbers that felt um, that I wanted in the comp because I often feel like my second attempt was my best perform. Like, I don't know, I can't explain it. Like I feel like I put my best self on the platform for my second. Um and sometimes there was either, like on the bench, for example, sometimes there was too long a wait for my third. And I just, I like to have lowish rest on bench. Well, not low, but not like 15, 20 minutes. 
Um, and on the squat, the wraps thing, again, it could be, it, it could be too soon. And I need quite a long time between the wraps. So the second always seemed to just go really well. Especially with wrap squats in a competition, you might get to the third round and find that four or five lifters have gone to the table and passed the third attempt. Now you've got about three minutes to get your wraps off and back on again. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, uh, Exactly. Um, that happened at body power and that's one of the things in the back of my mind where I'm like is that why I did my hammy because I was so fucking like, I didn't have time to even bring my heart rate down I was just fucking flying around wrapping myself yeah it could well be this is this is why I plan on taking what I want on my second for a squat and um, just having that option then to not need to do a third or if I fuck my second up I've got another go at it then yeah um, perfect Plan second attempt is something that I, I'm going to consider is within myself based on my training and how that's gone, but it's still going to be perhaps a best competition performance I've done. Yeah. Awesome. Right. Well, we'll leave it there, Tom. Is there anything else you want to say or not? Uh, just thanks for having me on. No, no, it's all right. Hopefully you enjoyed it, mate. Thank you for coming on, mate. really appreciate it. Cause I've been... Fo- following you for years and like I've always been um, like re- fascinated by like I'm tr- trying to look at the patterns and stuff in your training and coaching and stuff and like I just lo- love getting a bit of an insight in there thank you very much um, you well. would you would you come on again in the future if we had a bit of a yeah absolutely yeah oh, thank you thanks Tom and obviously any coaching inquiries if you hit Tom up at uh on his Instagram, I think it's through email you do it, isn't it? Um, I, I do have my email address linked on Instagram, but a lot of people just DM me anyway. So, yeah, whatever's easy. Yeah, I'm sure you all follow Tom anyway, but any coaching stuff, give Tom a DM. He's a brilliant coach. He's been doing it years. Coaches loads of the top powerlifters. He's a great coach. Coach me, coach loads of people I know. Everyone gets strong as fuck. Thanks. Yeah, Tom. Yeah. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, mate. Done.